Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. You're listening to Healthcare Matters, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to help you make sense of complex healthcare economics and policy issues. With us, as always, is Dr. Robert Popovian. Join us from Washington, D.C. He's a pharmacist, economist, and the chief science policy officer at the Global Healthy Living Foundation. We're also joined today by patient advocate, Catherine Hicks. And joining me is my good friend, as always, Connor Mertens from Seattle, Washington, my co-host and our patient advocate and community outreach manager. Today, as he mentioned, we have a very special guest, Catherine Hicks, who will be joining us. But before we get started, Connor, as always, I'm going to ask you for a number. I'm going to put the number out 57%. What do you think that's about? Mm, Seahawks chances of winning the Super Bowl this year, baby. A solid 57. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, good. I want Pete to win another Super Bowl, so for sure I will be supporting Seahawks. But no, 57% is actually the percentage of formulary exclusions that have questionable clinical and or economic benefits for patients through Express Scripts for 2023. So we have done a webinar recently and we discussed this number in detail, but that is it. 57% is actually the percentage of questionable economic and clinical benefit exclusions for a patient that have occurred in 2023 for Express Scripts. So it sounds like today we're going to be talking about formulary exclusions, Robert, and there's you said a lot of fancy big words there, so you're going to have to help us break that down. What in a nutshell is a formulary exclusion? So formulary exclusion, very simply, the pharmacy benefit management company or the insurer in some cases decides that they're going to exclude a drug from the formulary and provide patients with very little choice. They either have to be switched to a different product. They may have to take a different product that has a different formulation or in some cases, unfortunately, Connor, patients are out of luck. There is no other alternative. So they may exclude drugs that provide zero alternatives on the formulary for the patient. Well, let's get Catherine into this conversation nice and early. Catherine, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you're impacted by these formulary exclusions. My name is Catherine, and I live in San Francisco, California, and I was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis as a child, and it has persisted into adulthood. In addition, I have epilepsy as well, diagnosed in childhood, and formulary exclusions have been something I've fought my entire adult life. There's always been a struggle to get the proper medication for me, and after being in medically induced remission for about eight years, I had to switch insurance, and they excluded the medication I was on, and during that time, while we were fighting and appealing it, I got severely ill and ended up being hospitalized with a kidney infection, a very severe kidney infection that briefly dipped into sepsis. My body really didn't know what to do being taken off that medication with no taper and no change. So it really went into acute crisis. And I was in the hospital for about 10 days, but it took about three months to actually fully recover to be able to get back on my medications once we had gone through the process of appeals and fighting with them. And during that time, my rheumatoid arthritis severely attacked my spine, and I have long-term spinal damage from that. Thank you so much for sharing all that. That's just a face and a story behind what these sometimes complicated words mean, formula exclusions. What do you wish that folks who are in decision-making, the ability to make decisions that impact patient care, what do you wish that they knew? 
that their decisions have impacts on large groups of people. Now, my medication is not only used for my type of disease, but other autoimmune diseases as well. So there are hundreds of thousands of people that could potentially be affected by your decisions. We're not a bottom line. We're not a profit center for you. We are actually people who are trying to live with diseases that affect us every day. And when you make these decisions without our input, without our notice, and you take away the ability to care from the doctors, you really can impact someone's life for the long term. I have long-term spinal damage from this that I'm going to be dealing with for the rest of my life that will probably eventually require major surgeries. So when you think you're saving people money by excluding drugs, what you're really doing is just shifting the money to more severe care that's going to be needed, more hospitalizations, more severe things, especially in my case where this damaged my spine. I'm looking at fusions or disc replacements probably in the next five to 10 years, that's going to cost you a lot more than taking care of my drug would have. And you also put the burden of proof to a large degree on the patient and the doctor, and that also takes away from doctor's care, meaning at times the doctor has to be dealing with your paperwork. It's also you're taking away from caring for the patients in the way that they need to be taken care of. So the long-term patients suffer in a lot of different ways than just not getting their medications. Well, thanks for sharing all that, Catherine. I know it's tough, but as you know, it's important to share these stories because it's the only way that folks really know the impact. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I do the advocacy work I do. I'm very open on social media about my disease and stuff, and a lot of people just don't know. They just don't know about people like me because you looked at me, I don't look sick. You know, that's typical. You don't look sick with the chronic illness community. And so that is why I do the advocacy work I do. Definitely. And we're grateful that you do it. So, Robert, like we said, the Catherine is really a personal story and not just a number, but let's talk some numbers now. There's definitely some research and studies that I know that you've been a part of and that you talk about. Can we dive into some of that research? Happy to, Connor. You're absolutely right. So Global Healthy Living Foundation did the original research in 2022, which was published in the Health Science Journal, which is a peer-reviewed publication. In it, we evaluated the 2022 Express Scripts formulary, and we basically evaluated based on the criteria I gave you, whether or not these exclusions are clinically or economically beneficial for patients. And we found that 40 Six percent, forty-seven percent of those exclusions were not clinically beneficial or economically beneficial. In 2023, we've reassessed the 2023 formulary by ESI, and what we learned is that the exclusions, number one, have increased, and number two, what has happened is that the clinically questionable and economically questionable exclusions have increased to about 57%. So now more than half of those exclusions really don't benefit the patient. In addition, we did a separate study that we looked at specifically three drug classes. And Catherine's comments were very interesting because there's a patient behind each of these exclusions. And we wanted to quantify in these three drug classes, which we looked at, which were the anticoagulant drug class, the migraine drug class, and the psoriasis drug class, the topical psoriasis drug class, of how many people are impacted and how many of them would have a negative consequence if one of those drugs was excluded from the formulary. And again, we did the analysis, and guess what? In both cases, in all three disease cases, actually, it's millions of people. Not only get imp- millions get impacted, but significantly more important, millions are going to have adverse events. They're going to have adverse outcomes. And uh, both of these studies, by the way, in 2023, have already been completed. Both of them have been submitted to pre-publication website. Uh, what a pre-publication website is that it's not been yet peer-reviewed 
reviewed, but that we are confident enough about the results and that we've submitted it for everybody to see the results, to provide us feedback, because it's important to get this information out as soon as possible. We just can't wait for the editorial timeline of journals to be able to get this information out. But having said that, pre-publication websites also allow you to then submit the publication for peer-reviewed publication, and that's what our intent is. Now we're preparing both of the manuscripts to be published in a peer-reviewed journal. We're going to submit them into multiple journals and see which ones pick it up. But for now, they're available. They will be in the show notes, both the links for people to be able to go take a look at them on their own and judge the data on their own merits. And both of those publications have links to my email directly at ghlf.org. And you can question and send comments to me. But basically, that's where we are with the research. And Connor, it's important to get this information out as soon as possible and educate patients. One of the things I've learned from Catherine and listening to her is that, number one, you need to be your own advocate in the healthcare system and then to lean on friends, family, and anyone that will help you to be able to navigate this treacherous healthcare system that we have in the United States that's been really not a patient-friendly one. And I can speak to that a little more, kind of my own experiences on that. The thing I would say is being your own advocate is always what I would recommend, but there's so many things in chronic illness that definitely make that a hard thing to say. I mean, I've been on the phone recently at non-formulary exclusion issue with something else where I was on the phone for 17 hours with an insurance company. So, you know, I think it's one of those things that can be exhausting. But the thing that I would say is you can always educate yourself. And the thing I would say primarily is educate yourself on those appeal processes. Because in that 17 hours of being on the phone dealing with a pharmacy issue, I was told things that contradicted each other in polar opposite ways. So educating yourself in what an appeal process looks like, even if you're not the one doing it, is foremost the first thing I would tell you to do. And it's really hard to find that information as a patient what that appeal process is. You'll, you'll get a denial letter in the mail and you'll, they'll just say you have 30 days to appeal, but they don't tell you what they're doing once you've appealed. And you have to dig for that. I had to dig for that for about two days before I found it on Blue Shield's website. So I would say that's the first thing you want to do. I would say if you have a great relationship with your doctor, let your doctor do it. You know, that's their job. They have the insight into how that works, but a lot of people don't have that ability to have a good relationship with their doctor. I'm blessed. I live in a town with in an area with lots of great options for rheumatology. There's rheumatology research done here. I have some of the top-notch doctors in my reach, but I know not everyone is like that. And so if you don't have that and you don't have the ability, sometimes patients will say, I just can't do this, but I have relied on friends. When I was in the hospital, uh, my best friend was with me for that entire 10 days, and she was the one asking the doctors who were coming in what's going on. She was the one phoning my doctor on my behalf. So there are always people, and if nothing else, you can reach out to a person in your patient community. So Robert, last question. What are the alternatives to this? How do we combat this? I know that we've been taking these studies and research that you've mentioned to the state capitals and to D.C., and we're, we're trying to get these in front of the right people. But what's the alternative to formulary exclusions that are going to allow patients to get this continuum of care that's so necessary? Unfortunately, unlike like accumulators or maximizers or rebate reform or pass-through 
concessions to patients, there isn't an active legislation currently in the marketplace in legislative efforts, both on the state and the federal side that sort of prohibits these type of exclusions. And the reason that it's not because it's been really well hidden by the insurers and the PBMs and nobody has done anything with regards to really shining light on the issue. So what we're doing at GHLF is the first step, which is really studying it, demonstrating the harm it does to patients capturing stories such as Catherine's in the public domain. And my hope is that patient organizations, provider organizations, you know, consumer groups, employers will then get together and formulate some type of a legislative policy effort to prohibit this type of activity. This is an egregious activity that flies under the radar. It's commonly done with drugs that a lot of patients may not even know about. And because there aren't that many patients that get affected, but still, as I mentioned in my talk in the beginning, every exclusion includes a patient and every exclusion should be taken seriously and every exclusion should be evaluated and uh, judged based on its merits. So right now, nothing, but my hope is that it will take on some type of a legislative policy angle in the near future as we get more and more information out there. So Robert, as we talk about all the time, I'll make sure you get the last word in here. But what I really take away from this podcast episode is formula exclusions are just another one of those tools really holding back patients and not just holding them back, but doing active harm. And we're really trying to step up and make sure the world knows and that decision makers know Catherine's story and the story of millions of other patients that these exclusions truly, truly harm them. And we have to be taking a closer look at how we can prevent the harm being done to patients. But what's on your mind? Let's make sure you get the last word. So Carl. I'm going to follow up with a couple of things you just mentioned. Number one, exclusions harm patients. Exclusions of drugs formularies of the three largest formularies of Optum, CVS Health, and Express Scripts are increasing year over year. Between last several years, it's about a 34% annual increase in number of exclusions. That's number one. Number two, from our studies at Global Healthy Living Foundation, we have basically discovered that not all of these exclusions are clinically or economically beneficial to patients. Some of them make sense. You're excluding a brand name drug for a generic, specifically like a Lipitor brand is excluded for a Torvastatin generic. That's fine. But what we're finding is that more than 50% of these exclusions are not economically or clinically beneficial patients. And number three, and most importantly, and as I mentioned, every patient gets impacted. A lot of patients get impacted. A number of patients impacted and number of patients that potentially can have adverse events from this formula exclusions is significant. It's in the millions. It's not in the thousands, it's in the millions. And even in a drug class that is not commonly used, right? Anticoagulants is not something a lot of people take. Even in that drug class, millions of people are impacted with exclusions and a number of people with adverse events or adverse outcomes are in the millions. So something to pay attention to. And we hope that everybody goes and reads our research that we've done and we will be publishing, but it's in pre-publication server, as I mentioned. And please let us know what you think. Well, as always, thanks for breaking that down for us, Robert. And if folks want to learn more about formulary exclusions, be sure to check out our show notes. We'll have the link to our recent webinar where Robert breaks all this down. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you might be listening, so you never miss an episode. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast, writing one of those positive reviews, and sharing it with your friends and family. It's going to help more people like you find us. 
And if you have any questions, thoughts, or suggestions for us, you can send us an email at podcast at ghlf.org, and we may have you on one of our podcasts. I mean, that's how we got Catherine to come on and talk about her experience. And by the way, I want to thank you, Catherine, for doing this. And before you go, make sure to take a listen to some of our other great podcasts on the GHLF Podcast Network. You can find all of GHLF's podcasts at ghlf.org forward slash listen. She's Catherine Hicks, and he's Dr. Robert Popovium. And he's Connor Mertens. See you all next time. Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network.